All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Foundry. It's good to have you here with us. And I'm excited to jump into God's Word today. We're in our, in our Jesus-shaped message series. And so we're going to continue on in that. We'll be in Colossians chapter 3 today. Um, by, by way of getting into everything today, I want to start off with sharing a little bit about being a pastor. So I've been a pastor now for a little bit over six years. Before I was a pastor at Foundry, I was a youth pastor at a church in Kentucky. And that was, that's been my pastoral experience so far. And it's interesting the variety of life experience you get to see as a pastor. I mean, you get to see people experiencing the best of what God can do in their lives and people stepping into God's calling on their lives, stepping into a relationship with Him. But then you also see people really struggling through some of the hardest things and really wrestling with who they are and wrestling with sin in their lives. And there's a number of recurring themes I've seen in people's lives. And one of those is the question that so many people are wrestling with. And if you're here today, maybe you're wrestling with this question as well. And here's the question. It's very simple. It's usually a question asked by people who love Jesus, who are following him, who by faith have trusted in him for salvation. And the question they're asking is, how do I quit sinning? Like, I love Jesus. I want to follow him. I've trusted him for salvation. How do I actually align my life with him? How do I quit sinning? Now, I don't know if this is your question today. Maybe, maybe you're here and the Lord has brought you out of a lot of sin. But I know for many of us, if you're like many people I've talked with throughout my time in ministry, that you're asking the question, okay, how do I quit sinning? Like, I'm following Jesus and he's worked in these areas of my life, but there's still this big area where I have a, a harmful, destructive habit that I continue to live into, a sinful habit. Maybe that sinful habit for you is connected to lust. It's connected to pornography, maybe. You're, you're struggling to follow Jesus. You want to follow him, but you keep stepping back into that sin. Maybe for you, it's, it's destructive language, a way you tear others down, a way you don't encourage others, a way that you gossip and use your language to harm other people. Maybe the, the, what you're wrestling with is some kind of addiction to a substance, something you've tried to give up, you keep trying to kick, but that substance has mastery over you. I know for many of us, uh, especially men, wrestle with anger, just this, this anger that comes up and it causes you to act in ways that are sinful. The list could go on and on. We could talk about greed and coveting what other people have. We could talk about self-harm in ways that we harm our bodies and dishonor God in that way. We could go down the list and talk about ways we sin. But I want to talk about the question today, how do I quit sinning? Such a simple question, but it's one that we've wrestled with. Now, Paul has, has addressed this question. He's begun to address it. At the end of chapter 2, which we talked about last week, he talks about how religious practices and, and being harsh on ourselves and trying to just have better rules for our lives is not the key. In fact, he says that they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And the flesh for Paul is not really your physical body, but it's the part of you that opposes God. That, that pushes back on what God wants. And Paul says the rules you have are not the answer. He says the religious practices you have are not the answer. And that, I start to scratch my head and say, well, Paul, like, what's the answer here? How do I quit sinning? And Paul's going to provide an answer for us in chapter 3. So let's look at our Bibles today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. This is what Paul writes to the Colossian church and to us. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul starts off and he says, okay, if you've been raised with Christ, and already in in the last chapter he talked about how we've died with Christ to the things of this world. He says, if you've been raised, raised to life, resurrected with Christ, right? And for us that hasn't happened yet literally. We haven't been raised from the dead, although we will someday. But we have been raised spiritually with Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Focus on the things that are the things of God, not the things of this world. He says, set your mind on those things, not the things of this world, because you have died. And he says, your life's been hidden with Christ in God. And so right now there's a sense in which we are kept and we are protected in our relationship with God through Christ. We're protected from the things of this world through our relationship with Christ. We are protected. So there's these realities we're living in. What Paul's saying is we've died with Christ, we've been raised with him, and now we are in a spiritual sense protected. We are with him. And then when he returns, when Jesus returns someday, when he's revealed to the world, then we're going to appear in the glory that comes from him. And so Paul paints this picture. What Paul is saying, listen to this. Paul's saying that, that as Christians, our lives are unified with Christ. When we, when we are Christians, when we step in by faith to a relationship with him, we're unified with Christ. Like what, what an amazing privilege we have. And I think so often we don't think of ourselves in this way. We don't, we don't focus on the reality that like who I was has died, is gone. I've been raised with Jesus. There, there is a newness to who I am. My identity is found in my union with Christ. I've been unified with him. But we get the identity wrong and we begin to accept an identity that either was who we are, or is who the world says we should be, or maybe is even part of what we feel like we should be. I got a new phone number a long time ago. I have the same phone number that I've had since I was 18. So now for... Uh, more than 12 years, I've had the same phone number, and I still get calls for some dude who had the phone number before me. I'm not going to tell you his last name. His first name is Kelvin. I won't tell you his last name because I looked him up this week. I have never looked up this guy's name. I looked him up this week. He's a real person who lives in Greenville, Mississippi, and I've been getting calls for Kelvin for the last 12 years. They started off, right, I forgot the phone number, I was 18, and I started off getting calls for him, and they were calls because there were warrants out for his arrest. And the first time I got a call, I don't think they specified who it was for, it's just, hey, there's a warrant out for your arrest. And so I began to get a little nervous, I hadn't done anything I thought deserved uh, going to jail or having a warrant out, but I didn't know. And so I started getting calls for Kelvin that, that there's warrants out for his arrest, and then I started getting calls from debt collection agencies, And to this day, a dozen years later, I'm still getting calls for Kelvin. A couple years ago, I got a call from somebody. And and normally, you know, as soon as somebody calls now, if they say, hey, we're calling about debt collection or anything else, I'll just say, hey, are you calling for Kelvin? Because I'm not Kelvin. Stop calling. And then I'll hang up on him. But I was talking to this one very persistent lady. I don't know what kind of debt he owed her or owed the people she worked for, but she was persistent. So she called and said, hey, I'd like to speak to Kelvin. I said, oh, Kelvin, he no longer has his phone number. I think he had it before me. She said, great, are you Kelvin? I said, no, ma'am. I'm still being very polite and Southern about it. No, ma'am, I'm not not Kelvin. Uh, Kelvin had it before me. She said, can you put Kelvin on the line? I said, no, I don't think you understand. Like, Kelvin had this phone years ago. 
And she said, so, so are you telling me you're Kelvin? And at that point, it's just like, lady, you know, I went, I went almost Liam Neeson and taken, you know, just like very intense about it. And I got, I got more frustrated than I typically do. I said, lady, I'm not Kelvin. I've never been Kelvin. I don't know Kelvin. Honestly, I don't like Kelvin. I wish Kelvin had never had this number. If I could, I would have never picked this number. I'm not Kelvin. I don't know him. I don't know you. Stop calling me or I'm going to get angry. I have a very special set of skills, and I'm going to solve this if you don't stop calling me. And she said, and she, she wouldn't give up. She thought I was still Kelvin. So I hung up on her. Okay, so here, if, if I had listened to her, if I listened to these literally hundreds of calls, I mean, across the last dozen years, I've gotten probably a call a month or more for Kelvin. Uh, if I listened to those calls, I would begin to, to take on a different identity. I would be Kelvin from Greenville, Mississippi, who has warrants out for his arrest and who owes a lot of money to some people. But of course, I know that's not who I am. In the same way, when, when you're a Christian, you're, you are unified with Christ. You've died with him. You've been raised up with him. What Paul is saying is, if, if you want to walk with him now, you've got to understand your identity. You are no longer what you were. Stop living in that. And for Paul, everything that comes next, as far as our relationship to sin and our relationship to God, is rooted and grounded in the reality that we're unified with Christ. Now, this is, this is what Paul says next. Paul begins to delve down into practically how do we live this out. Because just saying something like we're unified with Christ or our identity is in Christ, it's, it's true. But it's pretty abstract, pretty spiritual. It's hard to know how to live that out. So this is what Paul says in verse 5. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So Paul just lists what, what likely includes many of the sins that, that some of us are wrestling with. We're trying to gain freedom from them. How do I quit these things? And he says, you need to not do them. And you're like, okay, well, I, I know that, Paul. How do I live this? And Paul starts off and he says, you have to put these things to death. Now, often what we do is we take that concept, okay? We take the concept, I've got to put these sins in my life to death, and we separate it from the reality that we are unified with Christ. We forget we're unified with Christ. We forget that our identity is in Christ, and we only focus then on the fact that we've got to put these things to death. And so we, like, we, we do everything we can, but we start at the wrong place. You are unified with Christ, and so out of that we put these things to death. Now, I was reading a book uh, a couple years ago. It's a great book. Highly recommend it. It's a book called Atomic Habits. My guy named James Clear. And it's, it's the most helpful book I've ever read on forming habits, creating new habits. It's not the answer to the sin problems in our lives, but it can definitely help us uh, start the habits we need to have. So I highly recommend this book. And James is writing in there. As far as I know, this guy's not a Christian, but he writes about a concept that, that is exactly what Paul is talking about. In this passage, James says that if you want to form a new habit, you don't start with the thing you want to do. You start with who you want to become. So if let's say you want to start your, your new habit to to uh, run, run a 10K this year, 6.2 miles, and that's what you want to accomplish in the next year, then instead of focusing on the habit or focusing on the goal, you focus on who you want to become. So you want to be a runner who runs 10Ks, and that's what you do. And then he says, and this, is, this sounds so simple, but it's, it's the reality. 
you begin to take small steps that line up with the identity that you want to have. So he uses this example. He says his wife was at a high school reunion one time. And, and everyone around her, they're sitting in a circle. There's about 30 people there. And they went around and, and tried to you know, remember people's names. And they'd been talking and introducing each other. And his wife just was able to name off everybody in the circle, all 30 of them. She knew their names. And everyone was amazed. They said, wow, you're just so good. You know people's names. You can remember people's names. You're so gifted at knowing people's names. And James says, ever since... His wife, she didn't do it before, but since she, she's embraced an identity of, I'm going to know people's names, I remember people's names, and she always does it. Right? She takes some small steps that lives into this identity that she has. Now, we experience this in different ways in our lives. For instance, once you get married, right, that changes, completely changes your identity. You are no longer one individual. You're now part of a couple. You are married. You've joined together. The Bible says you're one flesh. And so that changes how you act around other people. It changes what you do. It changes your priorities. It changes your identity. Now, you can choose not to live into that identity, right? You can choose to continue living as if you were a single person, but you're going to significantly harm your marriage. And so for us, right, this is what Paul's saying. You are unified with Christ. If you're a Christian, you've died with him. You've been raised with him. Someday in the future, when Christ returns, we will also appear in glory alongside him. We are unified with Christ. Our lives reflect and they mirror his life and who he is. And so, out of that reality, take a step that conforms with who he is. Paul's saying you're unified with Christ, so remove the things that don't belong. It's kind of like the, the Sesame Street, you know, brilliant theological point made by Sesame Street. Uh, one of these things is not like the other. And, and that's what we have to look at our lives and say, okay, which things in our lives are not like Jesus? If we've been unified with Christ, we remove what no longer belongs. So that's why Paul says we, we put to death the earthly things in us. Because they just don't belong. Like you've been, you've died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. You are made new. So you don't live into the earthly things anymore. You put them to death. Now the word put to death is interesting. This word doesn't appear much in the Bible. Only a few times throughout all the Bible. It's a very strong word. And, and it's, it's put in a way, it's a type of command in the Greek, which is what this letter was written in. It's a type of command which, which doesn't indicate just keep on doing this, keep on putting things to death. It has a sense of you do something and you complete that action. Like when we put them to death, we don't just start the process. We, we decide and definitively put something to death. We remove it from our lives because it does not fit with the unity we have with Jesus. We get it out of our lives. We begin then to operate in a way that lines up with who we are in Jesus. We operate out of who we are in Jesus. So we start with our identity. We're unified with Christ. And then we remove the things that don't belong. And, and for Paul, these are, these are the sins in our lives. These are the things that hold us back. These are the things that keep us from living into the abundance that God has set up for our lives. So for you and for me, it looks like recognizing every single day when we get up that we are unified with Christ. We're joined with him. We're close to him. And letting that reality, right? This is why we memorize scripture. It's why we read our Bibles. It's why we pray. It's because we are setting our minds, like Paul says, on the things above. We're aligning our behaviors with our identity. And we march forward in that. And then every day we recognize if there's something in my life that comes up 
that is, does not fit with my identity in Christ, which doesn't belong to someone who's unified with Jesus. We don't do that thing. We set it aside. We say, God has empowered me through his spirit to set that thing aside. When it comes to the gossip, right? You're in a situation and normally you would step into the gossip at your workplace. Instead, you say, no, I'm unified with Jesus. I'm not going to step into that. You let your identity lead your behavior. You take steps that line up with who you are. Back when I was, I was much younger, um, when I was a kid, I would go to different events. I'd go to, maybe it was a spend the night, sleep over at somebody's house, Boy Scout camp, church camp, wherever it was. Somewhere where my parents wouldn't be. And before I would go every single time, my dad would pull me aside and whoever else was going, that was one of my siblings, and he would give us a little pep talk, right? a little like football pregame pep talk. And the pep talk always, always included uh, it wasn't really like a pregame pep talk. It wasn't like we're going to crush the other side. Although, I mean, if it was ever a competition, the Freedomans were going to be the ones crushing. But what he always said to us is, Freedomans are leaders. Freedomans are leaders. Now, he's saying this. I mean, sometimes, like, I remember the first time probably I was five or six years old, right? He's saying this to some little kid who's got snot running down his nose. He's saying this to a kid who can't pronounce his R's correctly, right? He's saying this to a kid who just who can, who can barely... Uh, walk at this point and he's saying freedomans are leaders and what his point was is wherever you're going there are going to be people doing things they shouldn't be doing but but you're a freedoman and you're a leader because of that and so when everybody else is doing things they shouldn't be doing you are going to do the right thing freedomans are leaders and so as a as a five or a six or a seven or a ten or a fifteen year old when I was put in a situation where I had a decision how to behave, I went back to that identity and I lived out of that identity. So many of us just, just need to have that same pep talk before we step into each part of our days. Like, hey, you're a Christian and Christians are unified with Christ. So live like it. You're a Christian, and Christians are unified with Christ. And so remove the things that don't belong with Christ. You're a Christian. You're unified with Christ. Live for him. Put to death the earthly things in you. Now, the, the reason we have to put to death the, the earthly things in us really goes back to two people, Adam and Eve. Right? And this is like, this is the, the, when you just got to own up to the fact that you come from a weird and messed up family, like every single one of us comes from the worst great, 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 great grandparents, however far back it goes, that there were Adam and Eve. They're the ones, right, God put in the garden. It says that God created them. This goes all the way back to Genesis. God created Adam and Eve in his own image. Their whole goal, their whole responsibility was to reflect the glory of God in this world. They were, they were given the whole world to reflect. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the whole world with your offspring. And so we're told that they were made in the image of God. But we all know what happens next. They're in the garden. And there's two trees in the garden that are pointed out in particular. The tree of life, which continued to give them spiritual and physical life. And then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, you, you can eat out of anything in this tree. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What do they do? Well, they, they're tempted and they eat of that fruit. And the first thing, this is what's interesting to me. And this is how like, you can see how what they have done has continued on throughout all of our lives. As soon as they sin, as soon as they eat of the fruit and they sin, they, God comes looking for them. Now, God knows where everyone is. He wasn't really trying to find them. He knew where they were, but he came to be close to them, and, and they're hiding from him. They're hiding. 
It says they recognized their nakedness. They were, they were hiding from God. What's interesting for me is that we operate in the same way today. When we've sinned, when we've done wrong, we hide, we deceive, we cover it up. We don't let others see who we really are. We don't open up ourselves to God. We hide. We hide. So because of this, Adam and Eve then are given the curses that now all of us live under. You can go to Genesis chapter 3 and read about these curses. And there's a little piece at the end of this story we often miss. And I'm about to pull all of this back into Colossians chapter 3. There's a little piece at the end of the story. And it says that God actually made new clothing for Adam and Eve. Before they hadn't had any clothing, they lived kind of in this, this openness with each other. There was no sin in the world. And then God makes clothing for them. And he sends them out of the garden, and he makes sure they no longer have access to the tree of life. And so the sin in our lives, right, the brokenness of who we are, goes all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. Now, here's why I'm saying all this. I want you to look down at the verses that come next, because what Paul is doing here is so much bigger than just telling us to, to step away from sin. He says in verse 9, do not lie to one another. Uh, which is interesting because this is exactly what we do. We, we hide and we cover up and we deceive. And Paul says, don't lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, I want to show you something here. We just talked about Adam and his life and what he went through. What Paul is doing here is he's making a connection between our lives and Adam. He says, seeing that you have put off the old self, that's what my Bible says, but the word there for self is actually man, the old human. You've put off the old human. All right, so just like Adam was clothed in new clothing, right? He had access to everything God had, but then he sinned against God, and God made this new clothing for him. He was now living separate from life. He was living separate from God. What Paul says here, right, talking about our identity again, is that we have put off this old person, this old self, this old human. And he's talking primarily about Adam here. And he says, you put off those practices as well, right? So here you see identity and practices going together. But what I love is what comes next. And you have put on the new self, the new human, the new man. And here he's talking about Jesus. Like there's a way in which we, we were united with Adam and how we lived and what we had inherited. But when we become Christians now, we're united, we're unified with Jesus. He is the new man, the new person. And listen to what he says here. This new self, this new person is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So remember, Adam went wrong because he tried to take the knowledge of good and evil into his own hands. But now, listen... We're being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. We were made in his image. We're being renewed in knowledge into what he wants for our lives. And so we've, we've set aside the old self. Right? Well, we've inherited the sinful self we've inherited from Adam. We're embracing this new reality. And so again, Paul's saying, you've been unified with Christ. So remove what doesn't belong. Remove it. Remove it. So, so many of us want to continue walking in our sin because we don't understand who we are. You are unified with Christ. You've, you've died with him. You've been raised with him. And someday you will appear when he returns and you will appear with him in glory. That's your identity. So remove anything in your life that doesn't fit with that. Paul, Paul gets directly 
at this identity question when he finishes up in verse 11. This is what he said. He said, here, right, in this place where we're being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, right? He's bringing up all these human categories, right? Like Greek and Jew, right? Opposite categories, circumcised, uncircumcised, opposite categories, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, right? All these categories of people. He says, those don't exist as primary identities in the kingdom of God, but Christ is all and he's in all. We've been unified with Christ. So remove the things that don't belong from Christ. Back in 1865, the Civil War ended. And a couple months after that, Union troops were sent to Texas, which was part of the South. And they had about 250,000 slaves in Texas. Now, even though this was more than two years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by President Lincoln, and it was more than two months after the Lee had surrendered with the Confederate Army at Appomattox, there were still slaves who were enslaved. They, they had been freed, right? They had been freed by law. They had been freed by the, the end of the, the Confederacy, but they were still living in slavery. And this is now a holiday that we all celebrate as Americans called Juneteenth. It's June 19th every single year. And June 19th, 1865 was the very first day it was celebrated because it was the day that these Union soldiers came in and they announced to the slaves, those people who were still enslaved in Texas who were already free, they announced, you have been freed. Don't, don't live in slavery anymore. You're free. You're free to make money. You're free to go where you want. You are no longer enslaved. You're set free. What's fascinating about that story to me is, is the reality that you can be freed of something and not know it and not understand your new identity so you don't walk in it. There was months and in some ways even years of these, these people who continued in slavery because they, they weren't able to experience, they didn't know what they could experience as freed people. And, and so many Christians, right, the, the Christians who are asking the question, how, how do I quit sinning? don't realize that they've been unified with Christ. They have died with him. They've been raised with him. They, they are going to be revealed in glory with him someday. And they're still living out of an identity that has, has gone away. It's the, the old self, the self that looked like Adam, right, that had been inherited from Adam. It's gone away. And they're not walking in what's new. So, so for you and for me, we've been freed. We no longer have to walk in slavery to sin. What we have to do is, is stay unified with Jesus. And then out of that unity with him, put to death what's earthly. Whatever doesn't belong, remove it. And, and for, for all of us, what that starts with is repentance. If there's an area of your life, you say, I, my identity is in you, Jesus. I've, I've died with you. I've been raised with you. The, the old is gone. But I confess and I repent of these practices I keep doing. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to transform you, to work through you, to give you new life, and then begin to walk in that life. Tomorrow, when you get up, just cement your identity, right? I, I am yours, Jesus. I belong to you. I'm unified with you. And then when you experience temptation to sin, to turn away, to reject him, you reject that temptation. You reject that sin because you are unified with Christ. So you remove all the things that don't belong. The Holy Spirit will empower us as we trust in him to walk in that new life. 
in that new identity. So I want to invite you right now. If, if you're in that place and you have, have those recurring sins, those habitual sins in your life, maybe you, you have different areas, you keep falling back into sin. Right now is your chance to just offer that up to the Lord. I'm about to pray over us today. I want you to offer that, to repent of whatever that sin is, to, to trust Jesus with it, to ask for the Holy Spirit's help. And then every day, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, embrace your identity in Christ. Embrace being unified with him and remove the things that don't belong with that identity. Let's pray together right now. Father, we ask for your help. We need you to come in to make us new. And Father, I pray especially for those who, who are, are listening to this right now, who are, are watching this right now, who are here right now. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk forward unified with you, close to you. Father, help us always keep that identity in mind. Help us always keep that at the front of who we are. And help us to trust you. Holy Spirit, I pray you would empower us to live out your life, that we would remove the things that don't belong with our identity in Jesus, and that you would give us a purity and a holiness that, that surpasses anything we could try to do on our own. We need your help, so we ask that you would help us by your goodness and your grace. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.